Welcome to Epics and the Naval Warrior. I'm your host, Michael Sears. Today, my guest is a senior fellow at the Stockdale Center at the Naval Academy. He is also a professor at Georgetown Law School. He works on the law and ethics of war and national security, military ethics, and human rights. Welcome, Professor Mitt Regan. Thanks for being here today. Thank you for having me. This podcast is a great way to bring ethics home to the midshipmen. I'm really uh, pleased to be a part of it. It's great that you're here today, especially because we're going to talk about emotions. You know, we tend to think about emotions as something that can lead us to an unethical decision because it clouds our judgment. How can emotion lead us to act ethically? Well, um, I'll answer that in two steps. Uh, first, I just want to describe very briefly, uh, there are studies of the brain that show people who have injuries to the network in the brain that processes emotion make worse ethical choices than people whose emotional processing is normal. These people's reasoning faculties are perfectly normal. They engage in complex logical deliberation. They can tell you what Kant's categorical imperative prescribes. But in experiments, when they have to choose what to do, they choose consistently unethical courses of action compared to people with normal emotional function. And as one study puts it, knowledge without emotion leads to a gap between what you know and what you decide to do. So natural question might be, well, how is that? Why might that be? And research suggests that, you know, much of emotions, as we know, concerns the social world, how human beings whose behavior can harm or help others should act. And Acting ethically then requires a very keen awareness of others' states of mind, their vulnerabilities, their values, their sensitivities, so we can decide what's the best way to interact with them. And social life presents us with lots of situations where we have a lot of choices about what to do. And it requires emotional intelligence to anticipate the effect on someone if we decide to act this way or the other. A parent sees a child, her, her child hit another child, right? Now, the parents don't just say, typically, it's wrong to hit someone. What they do to try to get the child to behave in the future is to say, how would you feel if he did that to you, right? They're asking the child to enter into the emotional world of the other child, to identify with it to make them care about it. And so the next time a child may consider hitting another child, the child won't need to stop and think, well, there's a rule that it's wrong to hit somebody else and I shouldn't violate it, so I won't do it. The child will feel a quick emotional stab, an aversion to hurting another child. So people whose emotional processing is impaired just don't have the benefit of that. They can't rely on emotions as an ethical guidance system. That's a really good example of how emotions play into our decision-making and our, our ability to use ethics. Can you give an example for warriors of how emotion can do this? Yes. Uh, I think a good example is one I suspect many of the midshipmen are familiar with, and this is Hugh Thompson, the pilot who intervened to stop the massacre at My Lai. So he didn't, when he saw what was happening, he didn't reason that, well, the law of war prohibits killing innocent civilians. The Vietnamese in the village are civilians. Therefore, the company is violating the law of war. Therefore, I need to stop it. He responded immediately with a gut feeling of anger and outrage. And I'll just read you 
uh, an excerpt. This is Thompson speaking. I said, mm -hmm. it ain't mm -hmm. going to happen. They ain't going to die. I was hot. I'll tell you, I was hot. And those who received his radio message that day said his voice was choked with emotion. He swore obscenities, cursed, pleaded with the air crew to come down and help rescue the civilians. So his emotional intelligence led him to see immediately that what was happening was wrong and it motivated him to stop it. And that point about motivation is important because it's one thing to feel a response that something wrong is happening, but not everyone follows through on doing something about it. And what emotion does is give us that motivation. It inclines us to want to do it. Right? So that's one example, I think, of the way in which emotion leads someone to do the right thing uh, in a very stressful situation. Let me, let me ask you this. So how can a junior officer cultivate the kind of emotions that could help them to act ethically? The, the first thing is, uh, and this just echoes what you said, it's important to realize that acting ethically doesn't require suppressing your emotion. It requires, in fact, being aware of your emotions and, and this may sound a little odd, educating your emotions. And we think of emotion as, you know, just a gut feeling. It kind of comes over us. It seizes us, has, it, has us within its control. But actually, there is a way in which education's, uh, education can occur, right? Um, so when Jackie Robinson broke into the major leagues, many, many of his teammates felt disgust at the prospect of, feeling, of playing with him. Getting to know him over time educated their emotions. So this sense of disgust faded, and they had a new emotion. Uh, of loyalty to a teammate, right? So one thing I would say is being open to other people's lives, their stories helps educate our emotions. Literature uh, can do that as is well known, right? The second point is that the idea of educating your emotions means that you need to realize what's the right emotion for the situation. Um, Aristotle said, anybody can become angry. That's easy. But to be angry with the right person in the right amount, at the right time, for the right purpose, that's hard, right? So if we go back to Hugh Thompson, anger was the appropriate emotional response to that situation. But suppose you're on patrol and an IED explodes and kills someone in your unit, right? You're going to feel angry. You're going to want revenge. You're going to want to look for the trigger man, right? Or two. Suppose you see two locals nearby who walk in quickly away despite your order to halt. Your anger may want you to lead you to want to fire on them, right? But if you have good emotional intelligence, there'll be another emotion that you feel. That's a stab of aversion, right? Resistance, the possibility that you might kill an innocent person, right? And that feeling is based on empathy. It tells you that if you kill someone who's innocent, you'll feel guilt. So I'll just, I'll just close by saying that, so we're, we're, we typically have 
multiple emotions in a situation. And we have to be sensitive to which one is, is appropriate at the time, right? How do I cultivate that emotional intelligence in the sailors and Marines that I'm leading? Yes. Well, um, I'll give you some examples, right? Um, first of all, we know that good leadership requires emotional intelligence. A leader has to know the emotional temperature, if you will, of his or her unit, needs to know uh, the mood, and also needs to know how individuals are likely to react in different situations, right? Um, so one thing I've heard from officers who have led units in asymmetric conflict uh, where people have to make very difficult, rapid decisions about whether someone's exhibiting hostile intent or not, right? And that is that sometimes the people they're leading will regard the local population with suspicion, you know, even resentment. You know, the locals avoid contact, they look away, they're surly, they won't cooperate. Some of them are probably helping the enemy, right? And so that can lead to uh, kind of an emotional climate, if you will, among people that dampens empathy, right? Forces may know the procedures for determining hostile intent, but they may not be as motivated to follow them rigorously, right? Because they see hostiles as almost presumptively, uh, you know, every local that they see. So the resentment may lead them to think, and I've, this is a term that I heard from someone who said when he first got in country, when in doubt, light him up, you know? And I've heard that officers uh, say they can, they can respond to this by explaining to those they lead how locals are caught up in the middle. You know, they may have relatives who are part of the enemy. They may have powerful local figures who are collaborating. If they cooperate with you, they might, put their family at risk, right? In other words, the more you can see locals as fellow human beings caught in a really difficult situation, right? That may lead you to take a few seconds more, you know, to confirm hostile intent uh, because of that kind of, uh, that kind of empathy. Man, this is some very, very good stuff. Very timely stuff. Really appreciate it. Uh... You're coming on today and talking about emotional intelligence as, uh, as it uh, as it reflects on to ethics. Mitt, thanks a lot for coming. It's a pleasure. Thank you, Michael. You've been listening to Ethics in the Naval Warrior, produced by the Boeing Leadership Innovation Lab at the Stockdale Center for Ethical Leadership. You can find more of our podcasts by visiting the Radio Stockdale page at usna.edu.